Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hello and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. You have more faces than usual today and for very good reason. We are talking today, this is Rachel Marshall. I have my co-host, Bruce Wainer, with me as well. Hi, Bruce. Uh, good, whatever it is in your time zone right now. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> then we have back with us by popular demand, Rabbi Daniel Lapin. Welcome to the show, Rabbi. Thank you. And good to hear about popular demand. I'm, that, that's wonderful. <laughs> yes, we definitely have... We'll we'll have to say you have been the most popular guest that we've had on the show, and I think the most uh, frequent guest as well. So I think this is our fourth time recording on the Money Advantage with you. Yes, so, I feel quite at home. Well, we feel quite honored to have you join us, and um, we also have my husband Lucas with us as well. So there are four Hi, faces Lucas. in this conversation today. Nice to meet you. So today we're going to really unpack some additional ideas and insights from ancient Jewish wisdom. And if you have not had a chance to hear the last three conversations we've had with Rabbi Lapin on the show, please go back and check those out. We'll have the links in the show notes as well. We've talked about his book, Thou Shall Prosper. And that was just some beautiful truths about money and really those, I, I believe it was the Ten Commandments for making money. Is that correct? Right. And that book was extremely impressive. We've also talked about your um, one of your other books that was Business Secrets from the Bible that I have right here. Yes, that's right. And then you have several other books as well. So we've we've had multiple conversations. And today, what we really want to do is be able to just talk with you freely about ancient Jewish wisdom and how that applies to life, but specifically in the areas of long-term successful families what that what giving looks like in terms of your own personal life and giving as it relates to planning your legacy and giving money to future generations or giving it all away. And then also this idea of infinite banking that we talk about quite often on the show, but we would love to dialogue with you, Rabbi, about this. So again, thank you so much for joining us today on this conversation. Wonderful to be back. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's go ahead and jump in. Um, Rabbi, tell us, what have you been up to in the, in the last few months? I know you've been talking about your predictions for 2022 um, <laughs> and the idea that you can't really predict, but you had some great in- insights there. What have you been up to in the last few months? Uh, you know, mostly uh, been developing and expanding our uh, scrolling through scripture program, Rachel, which... Uh, which is something that that consumes me completely. Um, it's a um, uh, it, it, it's unpacking to use your word unpacking uh, the the uh, Hebrew text. Even though obviously our audience is not Hebrew reading or Hebrew speaking, but I think we have evolved a technology that allows people with no background in the Hebrew language uh, to nonetheless get a little bit of a sense of why it is that this book has uh, remained not only actively in print uh, for, I mean, literally since the Gutenberg press was invented by Johann Gutenberg in 1450, 
and the very first thing he ever printed was the Bible and why more copies of this book have been printed than of any other and why it lies at the heart of the success of the Hebrew people. Uh, and I, you know, first and foremost, it was necessary to uh, utterly uh, rip away the distorting overlay, which um, has been a part of, of thinking since really since uh, Renaissance period thinking, uh, which is that the Bible is a collection of stories and historical anecdotes written by a variety of ancient authors, uh, the subtext of which always was, look, this is not something that any thinking, intelligent, educated person needs to pay the slightest attention to. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it turns out that quite the reverse is true. Mm -hmm. And that um, that that in reality, uh, it's it's rather extraordinary that we live right now in the very first time of human history where uh, people who see themselves and are viewed by their contemporaries as educated and influential and uh, knowledgeable are completely ignorant about the Bible. Uh, I like saying, and I tested this regularly. I mean. Uh, people who show, who appear on television regularly cannot tell you whether Leviticus is the name of a book or a men's aftershave lotion. <laughs> That's hilarious. And so uh, the uh, scrolling through scripture program uh, is, um, I mean, to give you an idea, it takes uh, 10 hours to get through the first 34 verses of Genesis. Mm. Yes, well, I can agree. Actually, I've, I've started going through it. I'm not even halfway through unit one, maybe. And there's no reason to rush it because it's yeah. it's very, very dense. Now, the pace picks up a little bit after that because so many foundational principles are laid out during that uh, that first section. But but even why, you know, chapter one of Genesis ends at verse 31. So why do we include verse 32? Uh, why do we include verses one, two and three of chapter uh, two in order to make a total of 34 verses. And and even that question, just in and of itself, a simple question is if you, and we show you how in the original Hebrew text, the paragraph breaks, make it essential to conclude that section, not at chapter one, verse 31, but at chapter two, verse three. And, and that takes us to the end of the whole saga. Uh, and again, this is this is not about you know, how to create a universe on your kitchen table in your spare time. Uh, this is a, um, if you like, it's the equivalent of what one gets in the glove box when you buy a new high quality car. You don't get it. Nowadays, they just give you a, a URL for uh, downloading a, uh, a PDF. But, um, but you used to, and on some good cars, you still do. Uh, you 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 actually get a nice fat volume of detailed instructions of how to operate the the, the car effectively and to make sure that it remains uh, durable. Uh, in a sense, I think of it as the manufacturer's instruction manual, and that's really uh, what it's what it's all about. And and what we we lay out are, are the ways that that everybody can see exactly mm -hmm. what's going on here. Um, you know. I mean, one of the questions I enjoy that doesn't show up in in scrolling through scripture, but but I share it with with you and with our audience today is imagine 
that a 20-year-old male rings the doorbell at your door one day. You open the door. You've never seen this guy before. And he throws himself on your mercy. And he says, look, I've lost my memory. I have no idea who I am. I do not know anything at all. Uh, somehow or another, I still remember how to talk English, and I understand what you'll say to me, but please um, equip me. I mean, just tell me the basics I have to know in order to be able to operate in the world. Mm. Now, are you going to teach him how to play poker? No. No, waste the time. Yeah. Um, are you going to teach him um, about racism in early Icelandic literature? No, yeah, total waste of time. Yeah. Are you going to tell, teach him about the political, the politics of soil ecology? <laughs> I'm just thinking up some of the stupidest courses that are taught on university campuses in America today. But uh, no, you're not going to waste his time or your time with that. So, what are you going to tell him? Well, first and foremost, um, I'm I'm going to tell him about uh, the nature of human relationship, sexual and financial. He's going nowhere if he can't understand any of that. Mm -hmm. And um, once I've I've taught him about that, I'll teach him more about um, money. Oh, and at that point, he's yeah. got. I'm sorry, Lucas. Oh, I was just saying, I, I, everything you're saying is spot on. I've only gone through not even half the first unit, and the amount of stuff, the wisdom, and the uh, information that's been expanded upon, and uh, realizing that the what you're teaching in there yeah definitely christians or someone of faith uh, would find that would really like it but even somebody who doesn't even believe in god the stuff you're revealing they would have to find how practical it is and how um, important it is and there's so much that has been lost over time but that has been maintained just the average person is not being no, i appreciate taught. it and 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 that's exactly that idea. so you know we're not necessarily literally dealing with people who have had amnesia but, um, you know, you think of people who have sort of come of age in the last 30 years or so, and uh, I think it's safe to say that they've got the equivalent of amnesia in the sense that uh, the, the cultural bricks that have been put in place to build their personality and their relationships to the world uh, in many ways are distorted and ineffective. Mm. That's a really profound statement there. And I think What's really interesting is that you're taking everything back to the foundations of scripture and really it's so pervasive in our culture, in our society, that these ideas that stem back to the Bible that are kind of underpinnings of what we think and believe. But at the same time, if we have a flippant understanding of something and not a depthful knowledge that we can really build a sound philosophy on, it's challenging to figure out truly how to operate. And so you're saying, let's go back to the foundation. Let's lay a really solid foundation. And from there, then you can have all the conversation about human relationships and about money, which are so connected and tied together. And, and you bring that up beautifully through all of your work. So I think let's go ahead and uh, I want to bring up one really specific idea that we touched on, I think, it, at least in two of the shows that we've done earlier, and it's this idea of giving. And Bruce, I know yes. that you are a huge part of this part of the conversation as well, so I'll kind of lay it out and if you want to add on any pieces here. But many times in life, if somebody has the idea, the false idea, that business is somehow immoral and that it's 
stealing and taking from some other people, then it's bad to do business. And the only way you can right yourself is to give money away. So this idea of charity or giving, somehow giving back becomes this ideal that people look to and say, well, they're a good person because they gave back or they're giving. Whereas if they're just in business, then they're not giving, they're taking. You you really um, fillet that whole argument um, through the Thou Shall Prosper book. And you talk about how business is this good exchange between humans serving each other and that they have to improve each other's lives in order to even profit in the first place. And so that business is good. And yet at the same time, in multiple of your books, you talk also about the idea of why we want to give, why giving is important to do before you make the money, not just um, not just giving because you have extra left over. So in Business Secrets from the Bible, you have multiple chapters that you talk through the idea of giving. And so can you talk about, let's start from this idea of where does giving fit in the grand scheme of making and managing money and why should you do it? Yeah, you 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 phrase that question uh, very very effectively, Rachel. Um, you know, imagine um, I walk into a uh, a uh, a laid up nuclear power station. Uh, Germany has just shut down two more nuclear power stations in the belief that somehow this winter, Germans will be kept warm by windmills. Uh, I mean, it's the most stunning reversion back to medieval times. It's extraordinary. But And uh, again, all, all it takes is, as Texas learned uh, last year, all it takes is, is one cold winter, um, and they're going to be running back to find the keys for those two nuclear power stations. But um, but imagine that uh, that I walk into a uh, shutdown power station. I want to start it up again. This is very different from starting up my BMW. Totally different. Uh, as a matter of fact, if I call up the last uh, site engineer, he'll say, I, it's too complex. I can't tell you how to do it over the phone. But if you uh, go onto the third floor, you'll find a, a library. That room is where all the operating manuals of the power station are kept. And I can tell you which operating manual to start with, you know. And, uh, and you, you go along and you find the operating manual. And, um, and it's a long, there's a lot of things you got to do. And for the first, uh, probably for the first hour of my work trying to reactivate the station, there is no evidence of success. I hear nothing. I see nothing. There's no power. I see a couple of needles starting to flicker, a couple, a couple of indicator lights going on. But um, it takes quite a while before anything happens. And conversely, um, if, you know, if, I, if I make a really bad mistake driving a car, the resulting crash is almost instantaneous. Mm-hmm. But if you make a mistake um, um, uh, operating a power station, again, th- there's quite a lot of things that have to go wrong in sequence for you to actually 
find out. There, there are automatic processes in place because it is so well designed and it takes such a while before there is visible evidence of a problem that you need to know in advance. So um, life is like the nuclear power station, not like driving the car, which is to say that many of the things you need to know about the safe and proper operation of your life uh, do not show up immediately. And so um, somebody else can be making a mess of his life. Um, you know, you know, give you an example just at a, at a sort of most basic level. Um, you know, a, a woman, and I've, I've had this uh, as a practicing rabbi um, more times than I care to think about, but, you know, uh, women who, are, who have hit 40 and are crying in my study, and, and they're weeping because, you know, the closest they get to family now is going to a, a nephew or niece's birthday party. And um, the trouble was that 15 years ago, they were being told not to waste time thinking mm -hmm. about marriage or family. And um, it's taken 15 years for the damage. They, they pulled some wrong switches on that power station, some really wrong switches, and it's taken 15 years before they say, why was I such an idiot? Mm. Um, and so, uh, and similarly, doing, doing the right things, uh, it also takes a little bit of time. Giving is one of those factors that initially, uh, if I follow the giving route, and I have a friend who's decided to follow the taking route, it's very possible that for the first period of time, whatever that is, days or weeks or months, uh, he will look better off than I do. It's very possible that the initial response to him following his guideline and me following my guideline, very possible that uh, it'll look better for him. The balance sheets will show, hey, guess he was right. But again, it's going to take a little while longer because the manufacturer's instruction manual um, identifies something very fundamental that most people do not discover um, by experience until sometimes it's too late. Mm -hmm. uh, just like that uh, 40-year-old woman I talked to, and, and she now has got it. She now agrees with me. But when I spoke to her 15 years ago, she heaped scorn and derision on me. I was a primitive. I was a, uh, I, I was a uh, some kind of uh, dinosaur because I was speaking about things that are no longer relevant today. Well, it took 15 years, but now she knows they are relevant today. And it's kind of a bit too late for her to do very much about it. So it's, it's very sad and, and horrible. But giving is a lot like that. Um, we are made, we are created to operate, we are lubricated by being givers, not takers. We are corroded by being takers. It's like running that engine without an oil change. Uh, we thrive by being givers. Mm -hmm. and, and you see again that there are mechanisms that, um, again, I say the good Lord set in place. Uh, many people will will say, you know, they're there because of evolution or, or whatever it is. Um, and it, I don't really care whichever way, as long as you get the, the point and you get the message. But, you know, I mean, what is more selfish 
than a newborn baby boy. I mean, you know, he'll scream until he gets his way. Yeah. I mean, they're adorable. Don't I? I love. <laughs> I I love babies. We've had seven of them. I'm. I'm. I, I, I'm. I wish I had one now. I miss one. But um, but that doesn't detract from the fact that they are little selfish monsters. And how they come out depends on what my wife and I do to raise them. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when they become five or six years old, uh, we hope that we've seen the beginning signs of them not being little monsters, but they're still pretty much takers. And if people are looking for an explanation, you know, right now I'm, I'm very intrigued. I've done some writing lately. I don't know if you guys have come across this at all, but uh, there is an extraordinarily high number of young people in their 20s and 30s uh, self-sterilizing. And doctors are, are finding all kinds of ethical dilemmas here. I mean, do you really have a right to permanently sterilize a 22-year-old woman? Mm. And doctors say, well, reproductive choice. She's got the right to make the choice about herself. But there's a little voice in the back of the doctor's head which says, what's she going to say to me when she's 40? Mm -hmm. And yeah. But people are doing that. And they have all kinds of very interesting explanations. One of them is that so many of their friends who've had children have horrible little monsters. They, ju they just don't want to go down that route. Mm. And so if you don't raise your children properly, you're not only doing a major disservice to yourself, you're doing a major disservice to a lot of people around you who will be put off yes. family life because of what they see under your roof. Yes. And, um, and so, you know, people say, well, in the final analysis, okay, fine. So you think we're wrong. Why, why should we have children? And one of the answers, and it's a main answer, it's not the only answer, but one of my answers is because you may not realize it, but you were created to thrive as a giver, not as a taker. And one of the great things about little children is they let you give incessantly. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's absolutely true. It's really interesting, um, this idea of giving, where I think instead of saying, well, business is bad, therefore I have to give in order to right this wrong somehow. Yeah. Instead, you actually go as far as to show that the word for tithe and the word for wealthy comes from the same root. And you can share that if you like, but this idea that I feel wealthy when I truly give and I not just giving through business, but also giving through charity and through truly giving to those who are less fortunate than me. And yes. you unpack all of what is poor, none of us deserve or have the right to call ourselves poor, but but that we are in a position of we always can give to someone less fortunate. Rachel, and are you sure you don't want to start teaching the Rabbi Lappin program? <laughs> I'll come on your show if you'd like. The the idea, the idea though, I, I would like to take this a couple steps further. So yeah. there is this idea, especially in creating a legacy or leaving money to one's children. This is something passionate to that I'm passionate about, but that we talk about on our show as well, Bruce, um, where we're talking really about how do I not only create the best financial life for myself while I'm living on the earth, but also do the most for my kids. And there comes this um, challenging viewpoint where sometimes people say, well, you know, 
if I give money to my kids or if I leave money to my children, it's going to corrupt them and they're going to do bad things with it. And it's going to cause them to do things that I wouldn't have wanted them to do. Therefore, the best choice is to give everything away and let my children start over from scratch. The problem that I see with that is that if we think money is going to corrupt our children, it's because we didn't formulate and develop that character that you talked about just a moment ago. And I've nothing them become- else to add. You hit the nail on the head, of course. Uh, so, what does it say about your child raising through your lifetime if you don't trust your children to handle the money? I mean, you obviously feel you've handled it okay, mm-hmm. but you've somehow failed to convey your values to your children. Well, that's a terrible indictment. And if that's the way you feel, then send me your money. You're right. Don't give it to them. I think there's a correlation between um, the idea that building a business is giving in that uh, to a family, building a family, you're giving to your kids. Uh, like you building a business, you have to train employees. It's character development to build a business. It's character development to raise kids in the same way that so and the parents are, are getting trained too while they're uh, fulfilling the obligation to train their children. Right. Uh, so there's a correlation between the family and business very much. No, absolutely. And um, uh, I, I mean, ideally, uh, the only will that I need to leave for my children is certain charitable bequests I want them to make. Mm. Various commitments I've made, which just because I'm no longer there, uh, there's no reason why those recipients should suffer. So I, I would tell my children about that. But other than that, I, I can't think of, of what I would feel necessary to, to tell them. Um, well, it sounds like maybe you're saying that because you have already told them or you've already developed oh, that in them. No and question they already about it. Know. Yes, no, there is, is no question about it. I, I mean, when our, when our children uh, were little, they used to sometimes say, uh, you know, like, till when are you going to be watching us and telling us what we should re- we be doing? Like, till when? And we say it, the answer is very simple till the day we die. And then after that, don't count on us not haunting you. <laughs> so, awesome. so, Re- so, Rabbi, have you ever come aco- across uh, any of the thoughts or teachings of, of uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson from Toronto? Yeah, we've we've actually been in touch. Um, yeah, remarkable guy. He is a remarkable he actually, guy. Actually, he has he has a phrase. Um, he sent me his book. It's I, I think it's in his book. He sent me something about um, raising. Don't raise children that you end up hating or well, something that's, like that's that. Exact, that's where I was exactly going to go because I my wife and I were not fortunate enough to have children, although although we wanted them. But I was in education for 17 years, and I felt like I had a bunch of children that I was developing characters. Everybody you've influenced in education and in finance looks at you as a father. Everybody, people, people think that way. Yeah, and his, and his, his, I think his statement was something to the fact, don't raise kids that you actually hate. <laughs> because yes. if, if you hate them and you're the parents, then what do you think everybody else in society is going through? Yeah. And, uh, and I, and I saw this and I, and I also see this in my, in my daily life because people find out we, we didn't have children and they say, believe it or not, 
I would say a good percentage. Say, John, but oh, you're so lucky you didn't have kids. Because oh, you do hear that. They do not cherish their own children. Mm. And I don't know you when or how that, that happened. That our society has gone to a place where they do not like to have children because they feel, yeah, oh, yes, yes. Basically telling me I'm lucky that I didn't have that children. So and sad. from a bio, you know, I was a biology teacher from a biological perspective. That does not go with our process of maintaining our species. And then from the economics that I teach, the finances I teach, we need more people to help us in our economy. And and, uh, that is uh, China is suffering very badly right now because of that, because they put population uh, controls on their on their population. But I'd like to get. This is a long way to ask you this question. I actually um, am pretty positive about the future because I believe that we have our society, whether you're talking about our the United States or even New York or wherever you are, or the broad world, has prospered since the beginning. It's gotten better and better and better. And so this pendulum is always swinging, right? It's like, we're swinging towards some hedonistic type situations, but then it'll come crashing down and people will start looking towards the Bible and God again, and it'll swing back. And then people will get really selfish again and, and say, oh, we got it all figured out. We don't need all that stuff. And then it'll swing back and forth. What are your thoughts about all that? Because I think all that ties into how you raise your kids, how you look at money, you know, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yes. And. Um- so uh, with respect to things always getting better, um, in, in general, yes. But, um, you know, in, uh, in the summer of 1939, uh, there were a lot of people living in Warsaw, Poland. Warsaw, for a long time, had been one of the most delightful European capitals. And people were living very comfortably. They're Jewish people as well. There was a big Jewish population. People were living affluently and happily and successfully. There was nothing wrong with living in Warsaw, Poland in the 30s. And in September 1939, all that came to a crashing end. So um, things things can and do go horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. But when they do, it's usually things over which, as individuals, we have zero control. Um, it's it's not as if I could have done anything at all to stop the destructive riots in the United States during the summer of 2020. Mm-hmm. And so all I could do was try to come through that and make sure that uh, my children were not out on the street and were not part of that and and keep on moving forward. And so where I agree with you is that... Um, Regardless of what happens on the big picture, sometimes there are calamitous aspects to the big picture. You know, Warsaw 1939, um, it's, there's nothing to be done. It's just tragic. But, um, but, but overwhelmingly and generally, uh, I think energy is wasted worrying about that larger picture. You know, you're, um, you, there's not much you can personally do about that, but what you can do is strengthen your family and your finances. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that enhances the likelihood of being able to come through. Making yourself as little dependent on the state as possible. Mm-hmm. And making yourself as little dependent as possible on the, the, big, uh, the big machinery of state. Yes. This is one of the reasons, what I'm saying is self-evident, everybody feels this, it's one of the reasons that during the two years of COVID in the United States, um, skyscrapers in New York emptied out and people moved upstate, you know, into farmhouses. Why? Because when you suddenly realize that your ability to get down to the street from the 80th floor is totally dependent on electricity, a working elevator, and an elevator repairman who comes when he's needed, and you suddenly realize that the city can't supply water to you on the 80th floor, that in the basement of your skyscraper, there's a pump that sends water up to a special tank on the roof in New York building. You suddenly say to yourself, you know what? I'm too dependent on things that are too out of my control. Mm-hmm. And they move to a farmhouse in uh, in the Hudson Valley. Uh, that 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 is that is something real, and uh, and and so I, I think that that your point is is very well is well noted there. That uh, uh, with the things we do have power to impact and change are our finances and our family. I mean, uh, obviously, yeah. faith, your health, uh, your friendships. Uh, you know, my my program is based on five Fs, but um, but. You know, starting initially with with family and and finance, these are things that are in our control, and uh, and things that that your business focuses on. I mean, mm-hmm. to some extent, is it not fair to say that you focus on making people even independent to some extent of big banking? Yes, actually, I was just going to go there. So, what's really really That's interesting? Yeah, it's kind of hard to do what you just said about the. Um, being as independent as possible from government um, when you look at how the fam- the breakdown of the family the going from the, the the loss of for most families extended family uh multi-generational thinking within the family mm-hmm. um and uh, that makes it pretty hard uh for a lot of families to absorb and or deal with uh, let alone something big, but just smaller, like uh, someone losing their job or becoming injured and unable to work, uh, yeah. things of that nature. Yeah, and so, actually, I was going to go right with that whole idea. This, yes, the more economically sustainable and independent the family can be from big banks, from government, the more control you can take. And that requires not just thinking about me only and not even just thinking about me and my husband, but how can I as a family unit become more self-sufficient? How can, how can our family as a whole, our multi-generational family think about how can we depend on each other? How can we build the, those strong yes. relationships? And I mean, infinite banking is a huge piece of doing this because the premise all the way back to the beginning is to say, how do I store cash and capital in a way that the family can access and use these resources for the purpose of being self-sustainable and creating a legacy that then passes on to the next generation and the next generation? Wasting as little money on sustaining debt and um, 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And Lucas's point is amplified by the fact that in in uh, family coaching, I find that one of the biggest problems is that uh, mother and father very often lack the conviction of the value of their own family and the strength potential of their leadership. Mm. And people have become conditioned to believing that their family is built out of a partnership of public schools, yeah. uh, social services, um, uh, yeah, um, you know, national health systems, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And you say, hey, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. No, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. It takes a mother and a father. Mm -hmm. And um, mothers and fathers who lack the strength of their own conviction are utterly incapable of raising children. I mean, initially, you have to teach children the fifth commandment. Children are not born wanting to honor and respect their parents, you know. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I clearly remember that I thought my parents were real losers compared to little Johnny down the road's parents. Now, he had really cool parents. I didn't mind honoring his parents. It was my parents that were such losers. Mm. It's, that's perfectly natural and perfectly normal. Mm -hmm. And so it takes quite some uh, moral courage to say to your children, this is how you will act respectfully towards us. Yes. We're not asking you to love us. We're not asking how you, to modify how you feel about us, even though we know that the feelings will follow the actions down the road. Mm -hmm. But right now, it takes a courage. Most parents, no, I shouldn't say most, I don't, I mean, I don't know numbers, but a lot of parents today utterly lack the ability to say, hey, this is a ship. We are the captain and the first mate, and we're in charge. We may call on a teacher. We may call on a school. We may use a, a doctor. We may use a professional in this or other area, but we're, we're running this boat. And uh, we find today parents are silenced and um, almost uh, bludgeoned into a state of tranquility and passivity mm -hmm. when it comes to so-called experts. Yes, I mean, that's just a fascinating idea. Go ahead. Uh, we have so many thoughts on this. Go I ahead. just want to ask a question, Rabbi. Speaking of fake finances, um I did a, a few weeks back over the Christmas break, I did a um, kind of a dived into Deuteronomy 6.5, uh, I believe, from what I was reading. Uh, Can it's you a say Jewish what verse is? prayer called Shema that they recite they you, like twice a day. Correct. So the scripture would be very familiar to anyone who practiced. Um, um, so it says in there, I don't want to, I won't read the whole thing, but basically multi, about several um Several times he says, you and it mentions you and your children and grandchildren. Talking about fearing the Lord God as long as you live. Then he says, Yeah, uh, in verse three, you will have many children. In verse four, um, you then it says, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. Interestingly, the you talk about the word et talks about you shall love the Lord at the Lord, and then it says, You shall love the Lord et with all your yes. heart, soul, and mind. That I, I noticed that in there. Um, and then Lucas is referring to a whole section oh, yeah. of that scrolling through scripture which teaches on just one tiny little two-letter word which is so very important in scripture and then in verse seven it says repeat these again and again to your children so it's talking there about not not only god's uh, apparent blueprint for multi-generational family 
but also that how important training your children is. But then also, I, I, I got kind of, I spent a lot of time on that word strength in English. Uh, in Hebrew, it was, I don't know if I'm saying right, miod, but I believe it's actually means much more like wealth or your muchness, like your resources, your... Very good, Lucas. Very yeah. good indeed. You're right. Yes. And uh, your so resources they, are an important part of that. That's correct. Family finances. And then yeah. if you factor that in with steward training your kids, you're training them. You're supposed to be a steward. These aren't your resources. They're God's. You're supposed to be the steward of the resources he's given you. Yes. Just to train your kids then to be the stewards of those resources. Yeah. And so if you go back to the business and comparing business to family, a, a business will continue to bring in employees, train them. Somebody else will replace the CEO. And this, the new CEO knows that they did a good job if they continue to take the business farther. Yes. So it should be the same thing with your kids. Your kids should be taking your ceiling as their floor. But again, it takes moral courage. Um, think about this. You know, I'm sure we all know people to whom this would apply. Do you not know mothers who would be very uncomfortable saying to their four-year-old little girl, one day when you're a mommy, yeah, <laughs> they want. They don't want to say that anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's and so it's sad that when when you water everything down and you can't say anything is black or white, you can't call anything an actual name, then everything just gets so mushy. But yes, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. So you know there are mothers, plenty of mothers today, who be more comfortable saying to a little girl, you know, one day when you're a jet fighter pilot, mm -hmm. than they are saying one day when you're a mother. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, obviously, intergenerational continuity is is at threat like never before in American history. Mm -hmm. But uh, but certainly to uh, uh, to to help people understand that you don't have to assume the bank on the corner will take care of your money. You can take responsibility. You are the captain of your soul and of your life. Mm -hmm. Yes. So let's, um, I mean, there's just so much that we could unpack. I think we say this each time. So um, in the time that we have left, can you share what your thoughts are about infinite banking as a way for a family to be able to be self-sustaining and, and really have that independence that you're talking about? Um, so I only learned about it, um, you know, 10 maybe 15 years ago, that's all. So uh, I, without question, I would have become much more deeply involved in it had I uh, learned about it at, uh, at an earlier stage in my uh, career and when I was uh, making money in different, in different ways. Um, but I've certainly encouraged sons-in-law of mine um, to become involved, and, uh, and several have very effectively. Um, but again, it's uh, it's it, it more than anything else. It's it's realizing that nobody cares more about your money than you, mm -hmm. and nobody cares more about your children than you. And so, homeschooling is it's it's an alternative reality. You know, maybe you'll only homeschool for some classes, or maybe, but opening your eyes to this idea that nobody cares more about your children than you, and that therefore to you personally have a hands-on involvement with your big investment of your children, yeah, that makes sense. And nobody else cares more about your money than you do either. So mm -hmm. why don't you take a hands-on approach there and learn how to become your own bank, as it were? 
um, I'm going to buy a new car and I'm going to, I'm not going to follow uh, my friend Dave Ramsey's advice and I'm not going to pay cash for it because for one reason or another, I've decided to, it, it suits my financial planning better uh, to, to take out a loan for it. How much would I rather make those loan payments to me mm-hmm. than to Chase Bank? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, Nelson Nash, he was a, I was fortunate enough to, he was a mentor of mine. Um, he used you to met say him? It, oh, not only did I meet him, he was a personal mentor of mine. Uh, oh, how wonderful. Yes. Uh, Nelson, well, I've, I've read his work, of course. Yeah. Nelson used to say his wife gets a new car every five years, whether she wants one or not. Yes, and, that's right. and, and that's because he had figured out that instead of paying the money to the bank, he was paying it back to himself and then right. borrowing against it. And still and that money was still working for him at the insurance company. Yes. And then he would actually... Uh, he, he wanted to make sure the depreciation of the car wasn't so great that he didn't get something for it when he traded it back in and he just kept rinsing and repeating, rinsing and repeating. And right. it's funny, you know, he was, I believe in that whole process, but for me, you know, I, I hang on to my cars forever. Uh, you know, so I was just going to say, Lucas and I are having the same conversation. We got a, a beater that's <laughs> we're yeah. a little afraid to drive around with the family. Yes, I understand. But, but when I when I talked to Nelson about this, he he would say, "Well, Bruce, that's fine. That's that's why we call it infinite banking. Infinite meaning there's all kinds of ways to think. Yes. You know, that's that's what the infinite was. Plus, it was the infinite. Like we can pass down these ideas infinitely if we talk to the next generation about these things yes. over and over and over." And so um, I, I, I'm, I, I'm so glad that you realized in our low interest rate environment that we didn't have anything to do with it. The free market didn't. It was actually the Federal Reserve that it makes more sense to actually take out a loan because you're using that other money that you could be for an arbitrage to make more money for. No, that's exactly you know, right. Plan. And 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 beyond that, even Bruce, I mean, I, I'm with you on that 100 percent. Uh, but beyond that, uh, at the time we are talking at this particular moment in time, uh, I don't know what the accurate inflation rate is in the United States of America, but it could be 10%. Because if the government officially acknowledges seven, yes, which they recently did, then I know it's more than that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in that kind of environment, uh, for for do, it's not true for everybody, but for many people, even people who've been meticulous about never borrowing money and avoiding this could be a really, really good time to borrow money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's it, it's about it's about you having faith in your own self to handle money. Yes. And that, and and I have always said that Dave Ramsey has done a lot of good for a lot of people, but what he, what I believe he doesn't do is is encourage people to actually go out and multiply their money. He actually is just trying to tell them how to stay out of debt. Yeah, and, no, that's what he does. Look, only God is good for everybody, you know. Well, that's. Thank I mean, you. I'm gonna use. I'm gonna use that sometimes. That's exactly right. Even even I have to reluctantly admit from time to time that I can't help everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very profound. And, 
And and Dave he doesn't try to help everybody. He's trying very specifically uh, to help that very large segment of Americans who are destroying their lives without a control credit card debt, and nobody does it better. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of increasing revenue and building uh, building assets, uh, and the great thing is, you know, for that you don't have to go to Dave Ramsey. You can you can come to you guys. Mm-hmm. And this is not, you know, not everybody is going to have known um, Nash individually or personally. Um, you know, not everybody is going to have studied this up and understand the mechanics of how to handle insurance. But that's why there's mm-hmm. something called the money advantage, and people can pick up the phone and call you. And um, and I'm not saying this by way of uh, just a, an advertisement. I'm saying it as encouragement to people that there's a bigger world out there than you realize, and there are things you can do. Uh, you can be a bigger person with your family, and you can be a bigger person with your money. Mm. And one of the best ways of feeling growth inside of yourself is by being a giver, not a taker. Being a taker makes you feel a smaller human being, and being a giver makes you feel big, and uh, and that's a good feeling. Absolutely. Yeah, and on that point, I think you know people when they feel like they're concerned about, oh, I'm going to ruin my kids. I think what that really says is what they really think about money, and at the t- a lot of typical thinking is it's just for consumption. Um, they have this our society has a crazy idea of retirement, uh, and then they aren't teaching those principles. So if you don't, if you if you haven't taught your children to be stewards, well then yeah, give your money away. But if you if you <laughs> if you're intentionally training them to be more more of a steward than you are, then why in the world would you not? Um, after you've built up all those assets and resources, hand it to somebody who can continue to steward it mm-hmm. yes. in the way you train them and that you know is going to be effective um, and to take it even further. So again, take bringing that the family finances back together and giving and the idea of giving, you'll actually give more by training your kids or children and then passing those resources on, knowing that those aren't just p- purely for self-interest and consumption. It'd be like if you took a company with the CEO and you said, well, I'm about, I, I'm about, I'm going to retire now. I'm just going to take all the resources, drain the resources out of the company. We're going to shut, close the doors and hopefully someone else figures this out again. Yes. It'd be, it'd be, abs- it'd be crazy. Be absurd. No, that, that's exactly right. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and you know, when, when, when your children receive your assets after you pass along to the Lord, uh, it's not a lottery. They didn't just win a lottery. They have that because of a lifelong relationship they had with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People yes, who win absolutely. lotteries usually do not do well with the money. That's but people true. who inherit money properly do just fine with it because they're part of what built the money in the first place. Oh, that's really good. That's yeah. a really great note to even end on. And and I feel like the show always comes to a close way too soon. Um, I was just going to say, as we come to wrapping up, the idea that if you do well to steward the resources of children and teaching them well, then you're having a bigger vision. Because like Lucas just said, this idea of I can just think about what I can give and what I can create today. But if I, instead of just thinking about what I can do, I think about what the next generations can do and what they're capable of. 
mean, Bruce, that's kind of what we were talking about this morning, the idea of, well, we were talking about life insurance policies and how you have the upfront costs. And we were saying, you know, it's it's more valuable to take your hits and take the cost upfront so that it's not at the end because you you would rather pay on the seed than on the harvest because the yes. harvest is going to be much bigger. And if you think right. the money that I'm creating, the wealth that I'm creating, the the legacy that I'm creating is going to continue to grow and grow and grow, they're going to be capable of so much more in the future than even just what you can do today. Yeah, that's right. Can I put a yeah. little ending question on there? Yeah. One way to think about this, like a thinking exercise would be, would you train an employee who might work for you for the next few years differently if you knew they were going to take over the company 30, 40, 50 years from now, and then translate that to your children. Yes, that's right. That's Would very you effective. train them differently if you thought about all the assets you're going to hand them so many decades from now? Yep, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So Lucas, uh, that's, a, that's a concept Simon Sinek, you know, he says that people, when he goes and talks to them about, you know, empowering your employees to do things and people say, well, if I train them too much and I give them too much education, they might leave. And Simon Sinek says, yeah, but if you don't, they might stay and that'll be even worse. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, exactly. That, that's awesome. Well, Rabbi, is there anything that you would like to share in closing that you would like to encourage well, our Rachel, listeners? Well, Rachel, I'm just looking to see how far we did on our list of questions you send me in advance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nah, we've covered about a third of what we're supposed to have covered. And Which is I mean, always take, what happens. I so. take blame for that. I talk too much. I'm sorry, but I'm passionate about this stuff. I can't stop. It's Rabbi, this is just another reason that we'll have to have you on the show again. So um, I know that we need to talk about good communication. Um, yes. We need to talk greatly um, in tips from, in guidance and wisdom from ancient Jewish wisdom to leave a lasting legacy. I mean, there's right. nowhere right. else that we find more guidance. Yeah. Um, but I think we, I think we introduced some new ideas that the audience hasn't heard. We haven't spoken about yet among ourselves. So, uh, absolutely. So I, 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 I think it was valuable. I hope so. Anyways. Absolutely. Well, we look forward so. to the feedback from this episode. And, um, I will say as well, if anyone is wanting to connect with you personally, can you give them the best tools and resources and website to go to, to get in touch with you, Rabbi? Uh, yeah, I think the best way to reach me is, uh, at, um, rabbi Daniel Lappin.com. All right. And we'll make sure that we have that link in the show notes as well. That's R-A-B-B-I-D-A-N-I-E-L-L-A-P-I-N.com. Yes. If anyone wants great. to learn um, the how the rhythm of life from by God's design, go check out uh, Rabbi Lappin's uh, Scrolling Through Scripture course at WeHappyWarriors.com. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, that's, that is really um, I mean, something that I... If I start thinking about some aspect of that uh, in the middle of the night, I can't get to sleep. Mm. I, it's all done. I got to get up and make notes. Uh, I love it. I love it. Well, we will have this conversation to be continued. So in closing, right. please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. 
We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.